we're back hello hello everybody really glad to be here today and thanks for watching thanks for listening whatever platform you're on we appreciate you um, checking us out my guest today is somebody who i've only known for you know a few months but she's impressed me in so many different ways um with her overall just her person and who she is uh, the message that she has in many, many different messages as, as a trainer, as a professional who's out there helping people, coaching people, mentoring people. And uh, she's also happens to be an author of this very, very wonderful book called The Donut Diaries. The Donut Diaries is something you're going to want to get on Amazon, find it and buy it. A personal trainer's tale of being every size from 12 through zero. It's a fantastic, well-written, great message. And my pleasure to introduce Rachel Lavin. Thanks for joining me. How you doing, my friend? I'm doing great. It's good to see you again. You as well. We were together, what, two, three weeks ago down in Greenville doing some VO2 max testing. And I got the replacement part, so now I can test again. <laughs> Oh, that I, was I'll so never fun. drop that again. But right uh, yeah, that was a great day. And that's yeah. the day actually we got to spend some time together. Um, also, Angie Miller was with us. Shout out to Angie. Hi. You're awesome. <laughs> she was with us. And that was a great couple hours just hanging out and talking and learning about you. And um, why, why don't we dive in? Okay. Tell us what prompted, I mean, I know, but I want the listeners the viewers, what prompted you to write this book, The Donut Diaries? Well, as we'll learn, this is a very personal journey for me. I have struggled with my own weight my whole life. And even being a female in the fitness industry, it was a struggle. I don't have any other word to use, and it was a struggle. And when I finally decided that I was going to jump off that diet culture roller coaster, I wanted to share my message, but I definitely wanted it to come across as you are not alone from a, from a place of I've been there too, not, not in a way where I'm trying to sell you anything. I'm not selling a diet. I'm not selling a workout. I'm just sharing my message. And so that's, that's where, how my book came about. Yeah. So tell us more, um, if we can go into, let's say this, there's a story behind this Yeah. and you just shared a little bit about it, but what, tell us more about it. What, what's your journey been like? And when, like, is there a particular time that you can recall, let's say where the journey officially began? It's like, you know what? Um, I've got to go for this. I've got to go for this physique, this goal, whatever it is. Even if it was towards something you thought would be good, but then when you got there, you're feeling crappy or the other, the other way too. If you can expound upon that, that'd be fantastic. Of course. Well, I have been hyper aware of my physical being since I was 11 years old. And I've always been on a fat diet. I've always been watching what I ate. I've always been restricting. I've always just been in my own head about my body. And I thought, what better profession to enter into but becoming a group X slash personal trainer because then I can control my body. 
And as I developed as a trainer and dealing with other women like that, I, it was, it was something that I knew that I was meant to do and I was meant to help people, but I was still struggling with it myself. And when I turned 40 years old, I had finally achieved that in our society's view, the perfect body, right? I was a size zero. I was down to 125 pounds and I was so miserable and so uncomfortable in that body because it did not feel like me. And the things I have to do to stay that small, it's exhausting. And so when I turned 40, I began the journey. I started hearing about health at every size and intuitive eating and and really started to question everything that I believed my whole life. Mm-hmm. And as it's been unfolding, I'm 51 now, I just, sometimes I look back and I just go, wow, the things I've done to my poor little body mm-hmm. is awful. And I still feel like 10 years later that I'm off the diet roller coaster, that my body is still kind of healing. And I love to tell people, especially when we're talking like this, that it's not an overnight thing. It's not a light switch. I wish it was, but it takes time. It takes time to figure out what you've done and what you need to do moving forward. So tell me, I'm curious to know, for example, when you talk about what you did to your body, can you go into a little more detail on that? Like yeah, of course. Exercise-wise oh. or diet restriction or, or anything. Okay. Well, I've done it all. So I've over-exercised, I've under-exercised, I've over-ate, I under-ate, I binge-ate, I restricted. But for, for the most part of my life, I was a restrictive eater. I can't eat the that. I can't eat that. And then I would binge on that thing because I was not giving my body the nutrients it needs, right? I mean, you cannot live on broiled chicken and steamed broccoli your whole life. That's not enough. And I was always sick. I was a smoker on top of that. Like I just was not healthy. I was not feeling good. I was not, I wasn't able to like really have relationships because my brain was foggy all the time. And I just remember, you know, when we talked about me turning 40, I just, the mental exhaustion of all that, you know, all that of almost 40 years, I just had enough. And I just wanted to be my best self. And through figuring out what foods work best for me, for my body, and what types of movement work best for my body, I feel better at 50 than I ever felt my entire life. Do you feel better? Uh, I'm just going to ask a more specific uh, a question. But like, what about physically, mentally, emotionally? Is it all things you feel better in all the ways? I do. I really do. Mm-hmm. That's really good. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we don't feel so good. That's right. <laughs> so if you go back, That's though, right. let's go back to the restrictive <laughs> dieting. Okay. Okay. Um, how much anxiety lies around that? I'm assuming there has to be some anxiety and stress involved. Uh, just a little, <laughs> just a little. I mean, imagine 
if you are thinking about one thing every single day, every single minute of your life, and no, nothing else has room to penetrate your mind, because I can't eat that, oh, I, I, I'm not really hungry, or I can't eat this right now, or I mean, it's just, Carl, if I can tell you that my mind was always racing and I never understood what having peace was before now, that's the most simplest way I can describe it. I had no idea what it felt like to be peaceful. Interesting. Yeah. Um, I mean, this episode is about you, but I want to tell you in one way I can relate a little bit because about 15 years ago, I used to be, I was really heavy unhealthily heavily heavy you know um a lot of health problems which i've since reversed but i i did go overboard um with the exercising i actually went overboard with my diet too and decided to go vegetarian not vegan i'm not giving up cheese i just don't care what anybody says and um <laughs> i did ve a vegetarian four and a half years and I actually had anxiety around that because the chicken smelled good. It looked good. <laughs> I really wanted it, but I'm like, oh, no, I can't do it. I just had to try it. I found it to be a lot of anxiety in that department, too. I, I tried other things, too. I remember thinking at the end of the day, how do I feel now? And was it worth all the stuff I, I had? Was it worth the anxiety? A lot of times it wasn't for me. Mm -hmm. I mean, I did get my weight really way down, but I was so low that it didn't feel good. Mm -hmm. I mean, for me, I'm a 6'2", 195 pounds. Is, is, for me, it's not right. I'm not mm -hmm. built like that. Right. So, you know, I'm, I'm more than that now. But I feel better now. My, my other numbers are in check, too. So I'm really happy about that. So I think I'm on a good journey here. Um, let's, let's segue just a little bit. All right. So you're going through this, you, it sounds like then you're in the better part of like a few decades going from one size down to another, watching what you eat. Were you shifting a lot, bobbing and weaving to different types of dietary? Uh, what are the, some of the things you did that caused the most anxiety? And I, think, I know, realize this is going to be a personal thing. It's not like, you know, if you went vegan, everyone's going to have as much stress as you if they go vegan and don't want to. Just as an example, though, what caused you a lot of stress? I just think because, you know, just taking you back a little bit, I was a latchkey kid. And what that means for people who don't know, both my parents worked, I'd come home from school, and I would be alone until they got home. So most of my meals came in microwavable form, a bag, a package, whatever. I did not know how to cook. I didn't understand how to create a, a, you know, a healthy, full meal. And so when I became an adult and I had to take care of myself, I still ate that way and cooked, well, reheated, I should say, that way. So when I turned... Uh, 40, I decided that it was time to learn how to cook. It was time to learn how to understand how foods affected my body. And I just remember looking back on that time that I, I really didn't understand the correlation of 
you know, healthy proteins, veggies, and, and the combination of certain foods and how I would still feel empty after eating something packaged. And I would get angry at my hunger because I wasn't feeding myself enough. And it just was like, I, I've, I know I've said this a thousand times already, but it was just a constant battle between my body and my brain. And I just am so grateful to not have that anymore. So let's go forward to like right now. Um, you're feeling really good in all the ways, right? Physically, yes. emotionally, mentally. How do you eat now, if you don't mind sharing? I don't, not at all. I eat, well, well my boyfriend hates to go out, okay? He does not like to eat at restaurants, so I cook literally 99% of the time, which I love anyways because it does make me happy and it does make me feel like I'm nourishing myself properly. But I have two eggs, a sl some kind of bread, and I share an apple every morning with him. My client laughs at that. She's like, you share an apple? <laughs> yes. It's our thing. Leave us alone. <laughs> and for lunch, I usually have anything from a salad with a protein or if I'm not really feeling like that, I have whatever I want. I like to go out to lunch with my girlfriends. And then dinner is usually something uh, of some kind of meat, chicken, fish, steak, and a salad or a veggie. That is how I eat normally. It makes me feel good. It makes me feel like I'm functioning in my brain. It makes my body feel good. Everything feels like it's moving along. But then there are those times where I'm like, I need a chocolate chip cookie and I need it now. And I don't even fight with that anymore. I don't argue with it anymore. I have it and then I'm done until the next time I want one. Mm -hmm. I just don't, I, I don't fight with my, myself anymore. And you know, you still hear those things. Oh, you have to ignore those cravings or fight those cravings. You have to have willpower. And if you are trying to get in tune with your body and learn what your body is telling you, those cravings are usually something that your body needs. It needs it. That's why it's craving it. So stop fighting with it. <laughs> yeah. Well, Elizabeth and I were talking earlier about how sometimes fighting the urge for the donut or whatever, it'd be better to give in and have a donut than to eat too many calories of something else that's healthier maybe. And then you have excess calories. So I don't know. Um, I like potato chips and I don't fight too much about eating them. I just eat them. <laughs> I hear what you're saying, but I also think it's important to understand that your bodies go through phases and sometimes mm -hmm. you're less hungry. Sometimes you're more hungry. And instead of going, Oh my God, what's going on with my body? You know, just answer your body with giving it what it needs. And then your body will come back to homeostasis. Like I love to tell people that who are always so over critical of their hunger because I was there. I know what that's like, mm -hmm. that we have forgotten how to trust our body. We have forgotten how to listen to the signals that it gives us when it needs something. Right. And so if we could just come back to that, I think our relationship with food will heal so much better and so much more, and you'll feel more fulfilled. 
so I just I'd like to get your opinion on something because I find myself doing this probably more than I want to admit is uh, what about emotional eaters? You're stressed, you're depressed, you're sad, you're anxious, you're for me. Um, I had an experience recently trying to remember even who it was or what oh, oh i remember very well who it was and um so does Elizabeth. anyway so we had to <laughs> eject somebody from here my clinic um it's only the second time i've ever told anyone they're not welcome pretty much and so what happened was as my backdrop falls down <laughs> that's okay it's part of the show right so you were right. It fell down. Uh, I didn't think it would. Is uh, that night? I I knew that I I needed to address this lady, and I found myself in the bag of chips, man, a half a bag in, and I'm like, oh man, why did I do that? But I did it. Uh, mm -hmm. Do you do you have anything at all to say about that? Because it, there is a point where that that'll be unhealthy for us. I mean, if we're doing it too much, like right excess stuff coming in calories just or it could be sugar i'm not a, i don't really crave sugar hardly ever but i want my salt mm -hmm. i always have low sodium so i'm lucky i get to eat a lot of salt but if you're eating too many you know too much sugar and then you're worried about your sugar numbers or diabetes or something like just tell me if you don't mind speaking to that a little bit about the emotional eating and should we have a cutoff point that is a great question. And this is my opinion. I just want to state that, that I am not a nutritionist, nor am I a doctor. But binge eating, emotional eating, restrictive eating, in my opinion, they are all hand in hand, right? You are having an issue mm -hmm. that you are trying to either refrain from dealing with or the anxiety of what's to come. And we're looking for comfort. So a lot of us have told ourselves that we are emotionally eating, but I think that if we all start talking about what's going on and what our feelings are and sharing with another human being that you won't attach that to food anymore. That's just my personal experience. But I also believe that if you need something to soothe you and it's a half a bag of chips, is that really the end of the world? I don't think so. Probably not. It depends upon how much you do it, I guess, right? I I hear you. I hear what you're saying. But I think so many of us have forgotten how to share our feelings and share our emotions and deal with our feelings that we look for something that we can do to ourselves in private, if that makes sense. Totally. So I, I think I, I understand. I think what you said a minute ago now better is if you can detach the what's going on thing from being correlated with food, that might that'd be the ultimate cure for that problem. If, if you know, the emotional eating factor. Right. Mm -hmm. So that that involves some mindfulness. And um, I, I you know, I, I get there. There are times I want to. Well, you know, me and drinking, that's an issue. There's no way I can have a drink and deal with anything because then I'll be doing that for a long time again. <laughs> so it's actually caused me to look at how I deal with some other things like potato chips, 
they're pretty much just the thing. It's what I go to. Um, and kind of, let's say, hold back, knowing that, oh, wait a minute, I don't have to eat these because the problem still won't go away until I deal with it. So I have to detach. But yeah. if I don't detach, I could be into some problems. I mean, just scientifically speaking, I could be into some health problems like I used to be because I ate so much and I was so, so overweight. It was horrible. Yeah, but I think for people like you and I who have had that history of weight fluctuation that we always want to blame the food first, you know, and I think that it's important to understand just as far as you've come with your drinking, me having to quit smoking or quit doing whatever, it is a crutch. It's something that soothes you. And so to learn how to self-soothe yourself in other yeah, ways. Yeah, I hear what you're saying. Yeah. I, I understand that. I, I agree with that. Um, okay, so we talked about the beginning. We talked about the journey. Yeah. We talked about not feeling good. Size zero, right? Yeah. Because we talked about that in person too, but it's also in the book right on the cover too. Um, so at what point... I'm, I'm curious to know, well, you sort of answered this, but let's go a little more detail. At what point after you decided, like at 40, you decided to make some changes? At what point did you start to feel like your weight, you're, I'm, I'm a lot more comfortable now than I was when I was 40, whether it was six months later or six years later. What, what's that timeline looking like for you in the, in the past? Well... Like I mentioned, so we're here at year 11 after kind of having that initial epiphany. And I, I don't think I stopped completely restricting until about 45, 46. So it has definitely been a healing journey for my body. And I, you know, the weight that I lost came back. And, but instead of going, oh my God, I have to get it off. I said, you know what? No, I'm just going to be, I'm just going to move my body that feels good. I'm going to eat foods that feel good. And I'm going to understand how my body processes both those things working together. And my body is going to go through some changes and I just kind of want to be in the moment and, and, and feel it and understand it. And you know, so here we go back to the high end. And now that I'm settled in my new home and I'm settling in a new place with new friends and, and, and a new workout and, and all that, I, my body's changing again. And um, some of the weight's coming off and that's great, but I'm not putting that much stake in how much my body weight is, if that makes okay. sense. Yeah. 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 Um, I'm going to ask a question that for me is awkward to ask but we talked about this beforehand and then i want to go into some other things about um lifestyle movement and what, okay. what you like to do so let me ask you this what if you were to go to the doctor and they say he or she says uh you need to lose weight or your cholesterol is not good or Let's just say there's some type of, uh, or your visceral fat maybe is um, borderline and, and it could be, you could be in danger of some type of, you know, cardiac event or something like that. 
just talk to me about that. Sure. Because what I want to do is I want to understand where that comes into, if it would have an influence on changing. Um, um, Any of your thoughts about anything we've talked about up to this point? I will actually share my experience of getting my physical done when I first moved here. And so coming out of a pandemic where I rarely left the house and then I moved to Greenville when I was living in New York City. So everything about my daily routine changed. So when I did go to the doctor, my number, my blood pressure was a little high. My cholesterol was a little high and my weight was high. And the first thing she said to me is like, well, we got to get you on a diet and get some. And I said, hold on. <laughs> I said, what does that mean? You can't just tell me eat less, move more. Okay. That's the doctor's mantra. What do you mean? Well, don't eat fried food. Don't, I don't, don't eat this. Don't, I don't eat those things. So what are you telling me? She's like, well, let's get you on some blood pyramid. And I said, lady, listen. You're talking to a person who has been in the fitness industry my whole adult life. So I know that because of my, what I've been going through the past couple of years, I get it. My body is crazy. I need some time to get back on my routine, to get back onto my eating, to get back on my workout. And then let's test my numbers again. Look, we're not doing diets. We're not doing drugs. Let me see if I can do it. And if not, then we'll talk about it. I'm not trying to, you know, damage myself. (laughs) And I gave myself a year to get myself settled and everything is back to normal. Everything is good. Everything. So I encourage people all the time to question when their doctor says that eat more or eat, sorry, move more, eat less. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean anything to these people who have no idea what's going on internally. Right. So yes, that's where that's where that personally hit home for me. I hope that answered your question. It it mostly does. Um, so you might have answered this, but I have to ask it anyways because you have to understand I am a slow learner. <laughs> I don't always. That's get why everything. we get along, Carl. Come on. I don't get everything the first time. You know, tutors all the way through senior year. I would never have graduated. That's a fact. So anyways. But what in that year, so you were going through a lot because you moved, you moved to different cities. So now you're in a city, it's brand new. What did you do in that year that caused you to have a better physical the next time around? Like, let's talk about dietary stuff. And also, was there anything else? Were you doing any meditation? Were you doing any kind of anything like that how was your stress level and what kind of movement do you like because i want to talk about that too we all have what we like yes i i think what was happening during that year right after that physical where they wanted she wanted to put you on a diet and all that i was experienced a lot of panic attacks when i first moved here and that was something very new for me because I had never really felt that before. So yeah, I, I mean, I love to say I meditate, but the truth is like, I'll do it for two weeks and then I won't again, but it does make me feel good. But I also came back to kind of my center of who I am and what makes me happy and what makes me feel good. And honestly, working out for me is my therapy. And 
not even having to think about my cardiovascular part of my exercise when I lived in New York, I had to shift my thinking and I had to incorporate that now. And I still do because when you live in a place where you don't walk everywhere and you drive everywhere, well, now you've got to do something for your heart and your lungs and, and all that circulation. So now that I've been doing that consistently, I feel so much better. I don't feel as stiff. I don't feel as anxious. I don't feel as um, just kind of all over moody. Uh, so as far as movement, what I do is I love strength training minimum four days a week. I play around with my exercise because again, I want to have a life outside the gym and I want to be able to do things with my friends, but I also know I need to be consistent. So mm -hmm. I don't work out any less than four days a week and I strength train four days a week and I throw cardio in at least four to five of those days. And your boyfriend likes to work out too. Cause I met him. He was there for hours. <laughs> and he likes that that's no his i'm just saying too. i'm kind of joking yeah. but i actually I, I love that didn't we go to lunch and mm -hmm. he was still there when we got back oh yeah and, and i guess what it is is i want to illustrate that you got to do it exercise wise you have to do what you will do and hopefully you like to do it well, my story is a little different well and that's that. why there's so many i'm oh, sorry no, no, go ahead. That's why I love to tell people you have to find something you like to do or else you won't do it. And mm -hmm. that's the beauty of movement. It doesn't have to be inside of a gym. It can be in a pool. It can be on a trail. It can be in a lake. I mean, you really can move your body in thousands of different ways. And when, you know, I always suggest try 10 things and whatever sticks, do that. You know, moving your body is what we were created as humans to do, right? And it's not just to have muscles or to be skinny. I need to be able to climb up a ladder to put my groceries away. I need to be able to squat down to pick up, you know, dog poop. <laughs> like I have to do these things. And what better way to train my body functionally so I can have a better way of life? Well, I definitely agree there because um, uh, I won't do stuff I don't like, except there is an exception in the workouts I do with my daughter at the gym we go to. Partially it's because she's there and holds me accountable mm -hmm. and they tell me what to do and I just do it. <laughs> so and you don't it, it works. It works. I always feel better afterwards, uh, but otherwise i won't really do too much so for me that's what works but i always tell people you got to find something you like to do and do it you know you find two things do two things but we were designed to move harvard harvard professor medical school professor best-selling author john rady it's one of the first thing he talked about in my interview with him a few years ago is humans were designed to move we just don't need to as much anymore yeah. because doordash can bring us our food we can pay bills on our phone through apps. I mean, it's so easy. Automation is the best in some ways. But it's taken that. And you were in, were you in Manhattan? You were in New York City somewhere, right? Yeah, yeah. you can walk everywhere faster than you can drive, take the subway. So now you drive because you, you don't want to walk two and a half miles to the grocery store probably, right? It's a little um, further, but yes. <laughs> okay. Yeah, sure. So, so. 
we talked about what you did during that year. Um, I'm going through the back cover of the book here. Yeah. Because I was looking at find ways to adapt self-love into your routine. Talk about that for a minute, if you don't mind. Not at all. I think one of the harshest things I had to come to terms with the, the, throughout that whole discovery was how horribly I spoke to myself about myself. It was a constant barrage of you're fat, you're not lovable, you're not, I mean, just constant. And I really had to become aware of that and start speaking kindly to myself. And I share all the time that saying these things out loud, knowing that I wasn't going to believe them initially was tough. It was really tough, but I stuck with it. And I think that once I realized how much I was not showing myself love, I would, that's the person I was putting out into the world. And I wanted love so bad. And I was looking and looking and looking for it with other people, with my girlfriends, with men, with you know my parents, whatever. And I realized I was not doing it for myself. So that was a huge lesson that I learned in this entire journey was how to love Rachel, how to respect myself, how to speak kindly to myself, and how to take my power back. Like, it, why should I care what you think of my body? Like, why should I ask you? If I'm fat, like it's none of your business. <laughs> so I stopped doing that too. It's probably a good thing to do. I, yeah, I just, I'm thinking about a lot of things here right now. Um, I like that statement a lot. What I was thinking before we close, before we sign off is what advice, if you have a takeaway message, and I know you do, because you wrote the book on it and you, I know you are helping people with this. These last two bullet list things, I really love. Realize that movement is the ideal way to show your body love and learn how to talk about your body with acceptance and love. So if you combine those two things together, it's really powerful. If you were gonna tell, give, give a takeaway message around all the things we're talking about, but especially those two things right there, because I think those are so important. Well, everything is acceptance and love and movement being an ideal way. Tell other people like right here, right now, tell us what should we be thinking about? What's your advice on that? That being able to accept that your body is a gift and the things that it can do, you should never take that for granted. And there's no better way to show yourself that you love yourself than to take care of yourself. And that's what I mean by that. Moving your body every day in some way, shape or form, nourishing your body with foods that make you feel full and, and healthy and energetic and getting the kind of rest that you need. It's okay to take a day off from everything. Getting a good night's sleep, all of those things is the utmost way to show yourself love and respect. And your body will, re will respond in kind. You don't get sick, so your stress levels stay you know, here. I'm not saying life doesn't happen, I get it, it does. 
But if you can do those things on a daily basis, your quality of life is just going to be amazing. Yeah, I think that's um, that was really well said. It's a really important message because I still find myself, well, not the past couple of weeks, <laughs> out of 62 <laughs> years, out of the past, what, three weeks or whatever, since I came back, especially, I'm finding me time, I'm doing my exercise, never want to do it, then I do it, and I'm, I feel good that I sort of feel good while I'm doing it, feel really good when I'm done. But taking <laughs> the time, though, the me time, because I don't. Habitually, I don't do that, historically. Right. And um, then I get worn out, then I get sick, then I can't work for four days, then people don't get their sessions. I mean, it actually affects a lot of people when I don't, when we don't take care of ourselves, potentially, mm -hmm. especially if we're helping other people, right? Right. So, well, I, um, I say again, get on Amazon. You sell this on Amazon exclusively, right? At this point, okay. Right. The Donut Diaries. Go to Amazon, get it, buy it, buy copies for friends. Give them away as gifts, holidays, birthdays, everything. Because um, books like this are hard to come by with an honest message that really, I think, speaks to so many people. And I appreciate what you've written. I appreciate your message. And I understand even better now after talking with you some things I'm actually thinking about in my own mind, too. And, you know, how can I help other people? It's going to take some processing because I'm so darn slow. But <laughs> thank you for, you know, thanks for taking the time. I appreciate it You're a whole very, lot. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. If people want to reach you, um, is there a best way to contact you? Absolutely. Find me anywhere, social media, my website, all under Rachel Lavin Wellness. I'm mm -hmm. holding a copy of my book and all the pictures so you'll recognize me instantly. But yes, please reach out. I love talking about this and I want to help everyone in the world. So please reach out. And I know at some point I'm going to promote this, even though it hasn't happened yet. You're going to be on the National Academy of Sports Medicine podcast with Angie at some point. So look for her there, too, because Angie's a better interview than I am. <laughs> she has better questions. Great. But also she's she's really uh, you guys talked a lot. She's amazing. She goes deep with a lot of things that I don't have that background. So if if you're listening, watching, look for Rachel Lavin, L-A-V-I-N, on the NASM podcast. Because if it's not there yet, it will be in a while, and it's going to be great. So thank, thank you. you. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, all right. Well, again, thanks, everyone. Thank you, Rachel, for joining me, first of all. Thanks, everybody, for watching and listening. And I hope you have a great day. Take care. Bye.